This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. What do you do if you are a public figure and you find yourself in a season of depression that won't go away? Do you hide? Do you go it alone? Deny the reality of the depression or hope it will quietly resolve without intervention? Returning guest, Dr. Clarence Schuler faced such a challenging season and he discovered that the dark place can be a holy place. Today, he talks about how God met him in the dark place, what it took to get out, the lessons he learned, and how he now shares his experiences with others. So let me remind you a little bit about who Dr. Clarence Schuler is. Dr. Schuler, also known as the Love Doctor, is the president and CEO of Building Lasting Relationships, and he is the author of 10 books. He and Brenda have been married for more than 37 years. They conduct marriage, men's, women's, and single seminars internationally. In January 2020, he and Brenda received Family Life's Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaway Speakers of the Year Award. Dr. Schuler also speaks to youth, college students, and singles about friendships, dating, biblical sex, pornography, and sexting. In addition, his Maximizing Difference diversity training is in constant demand. He and Dr. Gary Chapman speak together at the Five Love Languages, Date Night, and life-changing cross-cultural friendships events. In 2022, they co-authored Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time. Dr. Schuler's newest book is Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. Dr. Clarence Schuler, welcome back to the Voice of Leadership and to Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. I'm delighted to have you on the show again. Well, Dr. Karen, thanks so much for having me. It's always fun to be with you. Likewise, always fun, although we're talking about a different kind of subject today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd be all my business today, so. Yeah, I'm going to be all in your business today. And here's the thing, you know, of course, for those who've been listening to the show, you know, that Dr. Clarence Schuler is an expert on diversity issues, an expert on marriage, and this is a different topic. We've mm -hmm. never talked about depression with you on the show before, so I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to share with us. Well, it is uh, something that I ran into or experienced, and I try to share what I've learned with other people, but it was really kind of a life-changing experience for me. Yeah, well, let's talk about that first, because first of all, I can't even imagine fitting a depression into a busy and full life. So tell us what happened to you, how it started, and what was going on in your life at the time. 
Well, Brenda and I had just come back from the Cayman Islands. And what was cool about that, we'd done a family conference. And usually when we go overseas, we don't expect to get paid. So we weren't expecting to get paid. But they were so impacted by what happened that they took up offerings of several churches and they gave us what we normally ask for, which was blew us away. So we came back really excited. I noticed I had a couple of phone calls and emails and it was from this multi-billion dollar company. Did I say multi-billion dollar? And uh, they wanted to hire me or explore opportunities, possibilities of hiring me to do diversity training for them. And so as we start talking and getting to know each other, they called me three times a week for a month. As we try to figure things out. They flew me in. I did a proposal. They paid me for my proposal. The president said, I like your diversity stuff because it actually brings people together. A lot of times diversity is divisive. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm in the house, right? And the money we were talking about, you know, for me, probably not for you, but for me, it's been life-changing. I mean, I probably wouldn't have to work for a couple of years. So uh, I was excited about that. And then 10 days later, they called me and said, uh, we decided to go in another direction. I was devastated. I usually don't count my chickens for you hash, but I was just really devastated. I thought, I guess now and look back at the money would have been validation for me. I would have finally have arrived. My wife is a daughter of the millionaire next door. So that would have been good for me from my perspective. And just that what I do is really good. So I was using money to validate myself or my position. And so when they said no, I kind of went to a deep, dark hole. I didn't want to hear any Christian cliches when God closed one door, he opens another. I just want to be left alone. And I wrote in my newsletter, just briefly, I didn't get the job. And I ain't going into a lot of details. But Dr. Monique read through the lines and she called me and asked me if I want to be counseled. And my first response was no. And then God said, you need counseling. So I asked him to counsel me. I counsel everybody else. And he didn't respond. So I knew I needed to get counseled. So I called her up and asked her, I say that offer still on the table. I'd like to take it, but I'm really raw. I said, I'm not going to use profanity, but I'm not in a good place. And she said, well, let's, I'll walk with you. So that's, that was the beginning of her helping me to get out of my depression. Okay. Now this is interesting because prior to you calling this uh, counselor, I know you went through some other phases where you were trying to maybe handle it on your own, do your own thing. And so first of all, how did you know you were depressed? How was it different from being disappointed? Because I'm sure you've had other disappointments before, before, not just this one. And so, you know, what did you see in yourself that was unusual in terms of the nature of this depression? Well, kind of like you, I'm a self-starter. I am pretty driven, I would say. Before, just being a black man in America, to be honest with you, with Christian organizations, especially in Colorado Springs, it has been difficult. I've had some experiences. And so being the first one in the house here and there, and you kind of deal with it. Uh, I did go one period I was depressed about nine months. I didn't know it because some of my friends back home got me laughing. And I said, wow, I was depressed. This was kind of deep and dark. For me, when I got depressed this time, I was still functional. You know, Brenda said she didn't know I was depressed because I, I still got to work. I still got to pay the bills. So I'm getting through it. But I'm, I think for me, one, I was thinking for the first time about giving up, uh, which is unusual for me. And I was hopeless. I, I was just like, wow, I can't believe this happened. I, to be honest, I didn't like the fact that white men, from my perspective, were controlling my destiny. Now, I needed to look higher and know that God was still in charge. But those are things I was wrestling with. I, I was really, really struggling. And so 
What made you eventually take up the offer for outside help? Because what did you try before that happened and what were the results? Well, I didn't really try much of anything else. I, I mean, you know, I, you just, maybe it's a man thing. I don't know, but you just, you just keep going. I mean, you just didn't talk about it. When I asked God for help and he said, I need counseling and he didn't respond when I asked him to counsel me and part of my pride, I, you know, I didn't want anybody to help me or know my stuff. But when she offered that and I realized I had to admit to myself, I needed help. I just had to do that. I think a lot of times we get in trouble. We have to admit, Hey, I can't handle this. And so I called her and she was great. And the first thing she said that got my attention, she said, you know, she said, you know, Clarence, when you're in a dark place, you know, God's with you in that dark place. So in your dark place, that can actually be a holy place because God's with you. And I was so self-absorbed that I forgot God was with me in the dark place. And that kind of gave me hope. So that was sort of how we got started. So I just realized I had to admit to myself I needed help. And then she offered and I eventually reluctantly took her up on it. Well, I think you've said several things. You talked about feeling hopeless. You mm-hmm. talked about losing sight of the fact that God was with you. You talked about maybe pushing the feelings down and not talking about what was going on and what was happening with you. And you said Brenda didn't even notice. Your wife didn't even notice that you were depressed. Yeah. Would you say that there was some impact on the family on your work, on your ministry, on her, that you, in retrospect, when you look back, you can see it? Well, yeah, I was just a little more withdrawn. Uh, but I think we all can be moody at times to do different things. And everybody's busy. I mean, Brenda's an executive at a non large nonprofit. has got a budget about a million dollars. Uh, the girls were grown, so they weren't, like, in the house. But, you know, maybe I didn't call them as much as I normally would or text them as normally as I normally would. Usually I'm an encourager. I was just kind of in a funk. And at the same time, Gary and I were really trying to discuss. We had just really nailed down in that same month, October 2017, that we we're going to write this book, um, Life Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships. So that was good. So, so a lot of things were still going on. And I didn't see where I had the luxury to stop and say, hey, I'm struggling. And as an entrepreneur, you know, I only, I only eat what I kill. So I had to keep trying to find stuff to kill. So I keep getting fed. So, so just a lot of pressures and maybe just the man ego stuff, because, you know, we're socialized not to share our emotions. So it's easy not to share at that point in time. Yeah. And so there was this sense you had to really keep on moving. Now you said something earlier, Dr. Clarence, you said that, you know, there was this validation that you were feeling about the work that you thought was coming in your direction. And so I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, looking back on this in retrospect, what do you think God was doing in your life through this depression? And how did this validation thing even fit into it? Well, I've always wrestled with validation uh, from uh, just being a little kid. I was short, black, I was insecure, had a great family, great dad, great mom. But I always felt like I needed to prove myself to be as good or better. So I really threw myself into sports and was fairly successful. But, you know, when we're doing something outside other than God, nothing else is really going to feel that that deal. And working in the Christian community in Colorado Springs is fairly competitive and uh, just a lot of different things. So that was a struggle for me. So the validation was really 
saying I'm good enough. And and in retrospect, I guess, uh, Dr. Karen, the validation was really apart from God trying to prove myself. Now we never have said that before. I think that's what it was. And because God's already saying, hey, I love you. I've saved you. I've, I've rescued you. So you're good because I love you. And and I was just really wrestling with that. So what God was doing to validation for me was, and I talk about this in the book, God was killing something in me so he could give birth to something else in me. And what he was killing was my need to be validated by men or myself. That's actually huge. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, so he, he said, okay, don't rely on all this external stuff as the right. validation or right. other people or even yourself. So what does it look like to be validated by God? How is that different from all of these other things? Well, this is kind of like the end of the story, but it's not really the end. But Dr. Karen, all the things I wanted, all the speaking engagements I was trying to manipulate to get, which I couldn't get, all this stuff, I kind of said, let it go. And then I realized that, one, I'm not nearly as important as I thought I was. I'm a little bit nicer than I used to be, and I'm a little more sensitive to people who are wounded. And once I just kind of realized, and I kind of knew this, and, and God was speaking through me, but I felt like I, I could be trusted that God could trust me. And so now I realize, hey, I'm just the messenger. I'm not the messenger. And I don't need to try and share in his glory. And I used to kind of self-deceive myself and say, I need to be great for God. Well, God didn't need me to be great for him. He just need me to be obedient. He's already great. He didn't need, there's nothing I can do to make him great. And so once I worked through all that and said, hey, you know, whatever happens, happens. And then I think some of my buddies were saying this, but it took a long time for me to get it. I just need to stay in my lane. Well, God's opened so many doors as I was coming out of my depression in 2017. It has blown me away. I mean, I'm speaking everywhere. I'm, I'm getting engagements for the same date and all things I thought I wanted. He's doing it. And now he's saying, is this what you want? Are you sure this is what you want? Because um, at times that can be almost overwhelming. And so I have to just kind of keep in perspective that he's doing this and I mean, there's a big conference, like 7,000 people going to be at this conference. The deadline to speak at the conference is over. But the president of the organization says, I really want you to speak at my conference. I need you to fill out an application. We fill out the application. And so I kept saying, hey, I'm really late. I missed the deadline when he invited me. The deadline was already in effect. But, you know, it's like God saying, I can do the impossible. So I'm just like, wow, you know, this is cool. But you have to catch yourself because he introduced me to some other people who were, you know, I guess famous and almost got caught up in the validation thing. And the Holy Spirit said, Hey, wait a minute, what are you doing? These are just men. Don't get caught up in that. Don't trip out. And so I said, okay, it's no big deal. And then I said, okay, I don't have to speak there. It's fine. So as long as I'm relaxed and you just kind of giving that stuff to God and not trying to manipulate, which is one of my tendencies, life is a whole lot better. And I'm speaking at bigger venues, bigger honorariums, whatever, but now it's not a big deal. Uh, we're actually taking the money. Brenda, I was sitting down with the money and we're just like, okay, who can we support? So we're supporting missionaries or different people who are struggling financially. And so it's just, it's just kind of a different world, if that makes sense. And it's a little less stressful. So in a sense, I'm thinking about the Bible verse where Jesus says, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, yeah. and I will give you rest. And yeah. what I'm hearing in part of this thread is that the rest of God comes in the ease with which things occur 
Whereas if you're not resting in God, there's a lot of work involved and you're sort of beating at the air and the wind and still nothing is materializing in the way you want it to. Exactly. You know, it's like, if I'm not walking with God, then, you know, you do diversity, you do a lot of stuff, then I'm just like, well, I'm in competition with Dr. Karen, so I got, how can I get this gig for she does? And But when I'm walking with God, then I don't, I don't have to worry about that. And then if if you're more successful, I mean, one of my spiritual sons, he's... He's so successful. And now I say, okay, cool. But he likes to call me, keep his head straight, you know, but he's working for a church, making six figures. He's working outside the church, making six figures. That used to kind of, I used to wrestle with that. Now it's it's not that big a deal. It's like, cool. You know, I'm, I'm happy for him and he's very creative. And I, and I, so I'm learning to appreciate what God is doing or how God's gifted other people without feeling jealous or listening to Satan say, well, I got to do that or I'm in, comp-, you know, and that's just, that's just so counterproductive for me to do stuff like that. So it's really maybe a deeper understanding of God truly being our source. Yes. And, that, you know, God really does know what we need and in what time frame. Yes, yes. And letting God speak to me through you or someone else and learning from that. So depression has really slowed me down in a lot of ways. I think one of the byproducts that I'm, I'm, I'm really focusing more on what's really important. I think I'm learning to be fully present better when with people. So it's just a, a lot of little things I'm, I'm seeing God that I'm still continuing to work on. And I, I, I think I'm managing my depression better now, more effectively than, than in before. So when you think back to the time that this opportunity didn't materialize and the space you were in at that point. If God had granted you that big, huge contract and other things that were going on at the time that were positive from your perspective, how do you think that might have been maybe not in your best interest possibly to have those things then as opposed to later? Well, I think you can give me things now because I can handle them because I realize who the source is and who's providing these opportunities. Had the worst thing he could have ever done was for me to get that job because I would have thought I did it. It just would have been terrible. It would have really probably killed me in a lot of different ways. And I think it would have made it hard for me to listen to God because I would think, well, hey, I'm, I did this. I'm pretty good and I don't really need you. I would never say that, but I think my actions would come across. I don't really need, I did this on my own. So and that, hey, I'm pretty good. And I think it just would have been the worst thing for me, for my marriage, uh, for me being a dad, the people I'm supposedly trying to minister to. It had been the worst thing, but I couldn't see it then. But I, I see it very clearly now that God really saved me from me. You know, when you talk about that God saving you from you, I'm hearing a thread in here of every so often, all of us need an experience that is kind of a, an humbling experience. It's nothing we would ever sign up for. And yet God sort of says, oh, I think you need this now. <laughs> At this point, <laughs> yeah, because of well, where I'm taking you, you got to go through this, you know? Well, that's the other thing too. You're so insightful because the things I'm doing now, he could never let me have, even though he wanted to give them to me, because I couldn't handle it. I had a wrong frame of mind. And so like in the past, I would name drop this person, this person, and God said, what? and so now there's no need to, because that would make me seem important. And so now it's like, this is not an issue, but no, uh, it would have just been devastating to um, to do that. But yeah, I, I definitely needed it. And it's 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 changed my life. I don't wish depression on anybody, 
But for me, because my my end, I hate to admit this, but my depression was about my idolatry. There's no way to clean up idolatry. You know, if a man is struggling with pornography or a woman struggling with pornography, we can say it's so common. Some people say it's disease. I mean, I, I would still say it's sin, but it's so common. It's not a big deal to people now. And it should be, but it's not. But idolatry, there's no way to clean that up. You know, I wanted to be God. I wanted to be in charge of my life. And God says, there's only one of him. And so once I realized that experientially, I knew it intellectually, but experientially, it just changed things for me. It just changed things. The issues you're talking about are very subtle. I know as a man of God, you didn't sit there and say, oh, I want to be God. I mean, you would never do that, right? <laughs> and, and yet what God does is when he shines that light in the corners oh. of our lives, the cobwebs that we didn't know were there become so much more visible. And yeah. we see the subtle ways in which we might be trying to share God's glory. And we know God doesn't share glory and all of this stuff because yeah. he reveals what we're not even aware of. We think we're not doing these things. Mm. Well, you're right. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, just, I see myself now. We just had a big, we're supposed to go to Ukraine next month. And the guy just called me. We had, we're getting ready to buy tickets. I finally got my nerve to go. We were all set. He said, we need to cancel because a big thing is coming the week after you guys will be here. And I'm not sure. And the people probably wouldn't come to that. They would go to this other thing. And I wouldn't have enough people there. So can we reschedule for the year? And I'm, I'm looking back, you know, so he said, can we do it in the fall? So, I called Brenda and said, well, you know, what's our schedule like? And like, we got two possible dates we might can go and they might work, might not work. But it's like guys saying, hey, you know, and so we just kind of waiting to see. But again, we just couldn't handle all that before guys now doing this stuff. And so we're sitting back and say, or I'm saying, okay, Lord, if you want me to do this, how you want me to do this? Or what do you want me to do? Can I wish my attitude be? Are you sure you want us to do this? What is a godly response to this situation? What do I do? And I have to really work on <laughs> not manipulating stuff and just say, okay, God, I can't do this. Like I got another speaking engagement, but I just became chairman of the board of this organization. And I really want to go. And I probably would go another year if I wasn't the chairman, but because it's my first year's chairman, I need to be there. But that, which means that I'm not going to be able to speak at this engagement and make some money. And so actually I'm spending money to go where I got to go, but you got to be there. You got to be okay with that. You got to have integrity. So these are things that God is showing me and, and not to worry about. It. Yeah. I'm hearing a big a theme of what I'll call a divine timing and also mm. divine provision. Sometimes we don't see things. God called you to go to Ukraine. And then he said, well, not now. Maybe some other mm. things are going to happen over there. This is not the right time. I want you to go at another time. And we have to be okay with God's redirect, even if it doesn't make sense to our human mind, because he's, you know, all knowing. He sees everything. Well, he is. And the, the big thing about going to Ukraine, the guy, we were there in 2019. The guy's asked us to come back. He says, I know it's a war, and he said, I can't guarantee anything, but I'll try and keep you as safe as possible. So for me, and I asked Brenda, she was ready to go. She's pretty brave. And so for me, I had to come to grips with you, and we, and we tell each other this and, and other people. Now we're telling a lot of people, but it's just that, hey, you know, with a war, there's no guarantee we come back. And so for me, going was not about making money because they, they can't pay us anything, and we weren't asking we actually helped support them. But it was like, I need to be willing to die for Christ. If he's asked me to do that, 
It's not my idea of having fun, but as a Christian, we keep singing or saying, I'm willing to die for Christ, whatever. I need to be willing to do that. So that's really kind of a big deal for us. And so I was kind of mentally ready just to go and, and do that, that if that was the case. And so my first thought when he said we need to postpone to the fall is as a human, I said, well, maybe the war will be over by then, you know, or maybe, you know, and so I, I don't know. And maybe God just wouldn't know where I'd be willing to go and die if he asked me and if I'm obedient. So that was kind of a big deal, you know, for us. You know, when you mentioned this whole thing about whether it could even have been a test, are you willing to go? Are you willing to die? I thought about Abraham with Isaac and taking him up in the mountain mm -hmm. and to sacrifice his son. And God didn't allow him to kill Isaac, but he certainly tested him and the knife was there and he's ready to go with it. And God stopped him and then provides the true sacrifice that we we're going to do at the time. So we never know. Sometimes it, God is just testing our obedience at any given point to see if we're willing to follow his lead and to do whatever he's called us to do. Well, I, I think that is true. And so I just want to be obedient. You know, years ago when I was a pastor, led this guy to Christ. He was a, a felon. He was the guy, if you didn't pay your drug bill, he'd come and break something. And so we had him put him up in a motel. I was spending a lot of time with him three times a day. He had to feed him, help him try to go find a job. And Brenda said, you're never here. And that's when she was a stay-at-home mom and our girls were real little. I said, well, I'm dealing with this dude. She says, well, uh, how can you bring him to the house? I said, well, I ain't, well, I ain't asked you to bring him in. I said, you don't believe in guns. I got an aluminum bat. If he goes off, I got one shot at him. I said, if I don't get him, that's, I mean, we toast. She was so brave. She said, you know, bring him into the house. So we brought this big old dude into the house. Of course, my girls just killed him. I mean, they just wrapped him around his, their fingers. And uh, it was a great time. But my police officers in the church, they don't bring him in. He's had a rap sheet since he's 12 years old. But at some point, I felt as a preacher, I got to live what I, I'm preaching about. So I think this trip to Ukraine could have been one of those tests for me to do that. Because honestly, I was I, I had some fear about going, some trepidation. And I was just praying, kind of getting my heart right to uh, face whatever we need to face. Well, you know, I think so far what you've been talking about, I would say you're describing this depression period as like a teacher in your life. And a lot of times we want to push away these difficult things, whether they be depression, anxiety, or whatever it is. Is Oh, no, this can't be from God. I don't want that. You know, how might God use this? And we know from a Romans 8.28 perspective, God uses everything. Yeah. you know, ultimately for our good. So I want you to comment on a couple of things. One, how significant an issue is depression in the church? Oh. And what about for men in particular? And what might they be missing if they don't see it as perhaps an opportunity or an experience that God can use? Okay, now you asked me three questions. You know I'm on Medicare. I can't I don't remember all those. But uh, one, <laughs> I read this really great book by Terrence Real. It's not a Christian book, but I read it, well, 15, 20 years ago. Actually, the last time I, I looked at the book, I came down to your church and taught some of the men about that. So I don't, that might be 20 years ago. But even then, he was saying, African-American uh, counselor was saying that there's an epidemic among men. I think it's even higher than African-American men. And because you notice now there's been an uptick or a swing or a surge in young black men in their 20s, 18, teenagers to 20, that commit suicides. And we never did that before. We used to value life, but now we're committing suicide. So it's a really big deal uh, in regards to that. Now, what were the other questions you asked? 
<laughs> the other part I was saying is, what might people be missing in terms of how oh. God could be speaking through the depression and using it? Okay. And then I think I remember the other question. The church is starting to say something. People are starting to write about depression, but they're not talking about it a lot. Because when I preached in 2017, in December, coming out of it, and then preached in 2018, the responsive thing on depression was unbelievable. I mean, people just came, flooded the altar to do that. And so now some churches are starting to hire counselors on staff. But and now I'm noticing people starting to preach about it. People starting to, you know, more and more. I talked to one of my spiritual sons and his pastor, who pastors a church about 25,000, predominantly black, preached about it. Uh, someone told me Tony Evans preached about it at a conference last a few weeks ago. And his son, like me, one of his sons, like me, actually wrote a book about it with a counselor. So men and black men are starting to come out and say stuff. Guys in the NBA are starting to talk about their battles with depression and need to have find a counselor. So we're starting to address it. And I have several large churches having me come in and talk to, not just to the young people about and ask them questions and really yes, research to learn from them what's making you want to give up and quit, but also talk to the leadership as to how to relate to young black men and women in the church. Because sometimes in our churches, we have a really great tradition, but we don't communicate that to the young people. So we're losing people in our church and in the white church as well, particularly Southern Baptist, you know, 67% of the kids who leave as high school seniors, when they go to college, they don't come back. And there's, there are other issues involved as well. So the church has to learn, or church leadership has to do a better job of communicating, uh, being transparent and actually being somewhat vulnerable if we're going to relate to the younger generation. I'm thinking about your experience as perhaps a precursor to the ministry that God is calling you to now. Because remember, at the heart of it, you're always in ministry and, and pastoral ministry of sorts. And so it's hard to minister to people if you have not experienced what they've experienced. And so I'm thinking about Jesus when he went through the wilderness and went through the temptations and he's serving as the second Adam Oh, he's going to be tempted, but not sin. He's serving as the one of like the Jewish people going through the wilderness for 40 years. He's out there for 40 days and he still has to be, you know, scripture says, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. So mm -hmm. by you having gone through this experience, God is saying, look, I want you to minister to these men and you're going to have to know what they're going through. You're going to have mm -hmm. to know not just in head knowledge, but by experience, and then you can share your experience and be vulnerable. Well, yeah, we did a broadcast earlier recently with a friend of mine who's a bishop with 50 pastors responding to him. But there also, he reached out to folks on LinkedIn. So we had Christian, non-Christian people. It was a Zoom call. I hit the chat and just looked at the chat and responses were unbelievable. I mean, people saying, this is great. I haven't heard anybody talk about this. There were men and women say this is really helpful. Uh, one lady said, I'm struggling with shame. And so we're able to kind of address some of that. And so uh, people are hungry for someone to help them talk about this, but they don't know where to go. And they typically don't know a safe place where they can really talk about their stuff, especially for guys. Where's a safe place where I can talk about my depression, my fears, my shame, and still feel like a man? 
Yeah, that's really an important thing, a safe space for men to talk about. So what do you think makes it so hard for, let's say, pastors, CEOs, and other leaders to really uh, reach out and get help? Well, I, I think CEOs, whether they're male or female, tend to have this, or pastors, have a Superman or Superwoman complex that we can't share our weaknesses because then people will pounce on us. In gangs, if the number one gets weak, a lot of gangs, are, the law, their bylaws, the number two guy has to kill the first guy and take over. And so there's a fear that someone's going to stick something, a knife in my back or whatever. But real leadership, and you have to have a balance here, you have to have wisdom here, at times has to show that transparency. You know, when we look at scripture, 1 Corinthians 12 and spiritual gifts, uh, it says one thing that, well, your gift, Dr. Karen, is not for you, it's for me and vice versa, if we're in, in a community of a church relationship. And so what God does, He no one has all the gifts, so he creates a, a culture of interdependency. And that interdependency, if we utilize it, creates a unity. And so when you're struggling, I know you're struggling, and when you celebrate, I know how to celebrate with you. And so, but our churches tend not to be that close, because you go sit in your church and ask somebody what their spiritual gift is, they would probably tell you, I don't know what it is. And typically, the reason they don't know because they're probably not using it, or they may be using it not knowing it. But if it's for the body, someone said, well, you know, Karen, your gift is uh, is teaching, or your gift is encouragement, or your gift is, you know, because they experience it from you. And so I think that's one of the things we struggle with in the church. I think God has us in community, and it is for other people in the community, and we sometimes forget that. You know, you've been talking about how you've learned some things, had some insights, and moved ahead. And we know that our relationship with God is a very dynamic place to be. How would you say that your personal relationship with God has deepened and changed on the back end of all of this? It's been huge. I think I was doing so many things that God never called me to do that he wanted to do for me that I was trying to get him to do, and he couldn't give it to me because I couldn't handle it. But in Isaiah 45, verse 3, it says something like this. It says, I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. And I would do this so you know that the Lord God of Israel, the one who calls you by name, is, is with you. So what that shared me that in the dark place, God has all these secret treasures and riches that he wants me to unearth and work through in the dark place. And it kind of gave me permission to say, okay, it's okay. Not, I don't have to fake being fine anymore. So if someone says, how are you doing? I can say, well, well, Dr. Karen, I'm I'm struggling a little bit right now, or I'm working through some stuff, but you know, will you pray for me? And if God leads you to ask me what's going on, then if appropriate, I can say, well, I'm, I'm working with dealing with this. And God may use you to help me in working through it. So, and then the other thing too, so being in a dark place is not necessarily a bad place. It can be a holy place. But then also, more than likely, I'm going to be healed in my dark place. And so being in the darkness is not a pity party, but it doesn't mean you're at your best, that you're seeking and trying to find direction in that dark place. Yeah, so the relationship with God has really gotten closer. And so now it's like really making sure I've heard from God. Like I told you, this guy at this conference, huge conference, wants me to speak. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. And speaking is not the main thing. Because when my buddy said, well, you passed the deadline, he's not going to have you speak. When the guy said, no, I feel like the application, I'll take care of it. Then to me, it makes sure, hey, I am hearing God. 
which doesn't mean he's going to, you know, approve the application, say, well, I just changed my mind or whatever, but it reaffirms I'm hearing from God in the midst of that. And, and I think with a depression, I'm looking to hear from God more before than maybe ever before. And possibly I'm not trying to take so many steps without making sure I'm hearing from God. For example, I'm really zeroing in on that, talking to Brenda Moore, especially in the area of making decisions. You know, what do you think? What's your schedule? And then we come back because now I really see I need her input. And since she's a gift from God to me, I, I need to listen to that. So we're both really working hard, that communication piece. Uh, as we do both run our uh, respective ministries, God's given us. Yeah, I love this where, you know, sometimes in something like a depression, God slows us down long enough that we can really hear his voice and that we can be put up the antenna in a way that's really fine-tuned mm. to hear what he's really saying and what he's opening and what he's not opening up. And sometimes when we're running fast and furious and all seems to be well and we're in our own steam, so to speak, we mm. may not stop to hear as clearly. And you're mentioning that even your spouse, your wife, who's part of that community, if you will, the church community, she's that helpmate that God has yeah. given you that that if you're operating without her input, that's a big loss too. So he's having you be having you be more sensitive to all of the divine resources that he's put around you. It's like, yeah, no, I didn't put you down here just to run by yourself. I've got a whole community around you, starting at home, as a matter of fact. Well, you know, I think for CEOs and uh, pastors, you know, I have a seminar I do sometimes, and, and it's called "Winning at Working at Home," and and really because that's more attractive, but actually should be winning at home and at work. Because if you're not taking care of business at home, if you that's not really working well, that's going to impact your work. It's going to impact how you try and lead your employees. All that stuff is, is impacted. So, you know, it's God first, you know, for me, Brenda second, then the girls and then the ministry. And if we have that mindset, that's a win-win because people who are looking at us as leaders will mimic that. And they will imitate that. And that's a good thing to do. And that really ensures, or doesn't ensure, but it helps your organization to become a family and wellness organization because the leaders and the people they're leading are learning to take care of home first. And then that overflows into business. And then it makes business more successful because when people are divorcing or struggling in their marriages, or they're singles and they're struggling about relationship, they don't really understand their self-worth versus self-worship, uh, then you can become unproductive at work and which creates problems at home. So they really go hand in hand. Absolutely. So your journey with the counselor who reached out to you, somebody that you know, mm -hmm. tell us about what it was like to be in counseling and some people are afraid of counseling. They don't trust it. And especially in the African-American Christian community, counseling is not always seen as a positive. So what can you say about going through the counseling experience that might help somebody to understand the value of it? Well, for me, it was priceless to have someone who loves Jesus, who has spiritual gifts in that field. Uh, she was licensed, is licensed. To be able to look into my life and say, Clarence, have you considered this? Or just ask me the appropriate questions or even know how to come alongside you to get you to talk. It was huge. And then in the book, we have a thread of text going back and forth where she texts me 
over the period of a year to make sure I'm doing okay. And even when I'm coming out, she would say stuff when I was in a good mood or good place. She would say, well, Clarence, this is good, but you're not done yet. You know, still some more stuff you got to do. And I would say your mama, but now I say, <laughs> but anyway, uh, it was really helpful, you know, to have that person. And so it was really fun this weekend. Uh, we were speaking at Gary Chapman. I was speaking in Atlanta and she lives in Atlanta. So she and her husband came out to the event where we were speaking. I got to, I'd seen her face to face, but I'd never met her husband face to face. So I got to meet her, introduce him to Gary Chapman and just thank her husband for letting her counsel me because we did it long distance because she was in Atlanta. I was in Colorado Springs. And she said she really did it because we were friends. So, because she said that I had sometime it helped her younger brother years ago, which I was totally clueless to. So I think those are just really important things to be a part of and know. Sounds great. So someone can ask you some insightful questions to help you to explore more deeply, you know, what God may be saying in the season that you're going through. And from all of this, you and your counselor wrote this book together. So tell us about the book, how it's going to help people. And there are all kinds of depression books out there. So how is this one different? Well, the big difference is that there are very few that I've actually written with the client and their counselor. There are very few of those. Uh, one, this is a biblically based, but it's not preachy. And we talk about, really, I share my flaws. It's the most transparent book I've ever written. And then she comes along at the end and she says, okay, this is kind of what Clarence is going through. So she gives you an opportunity to be on her couch and she talks from a li- as a licensed clinical you know, professional. I think the other thing is we talk about panic we attacks. We talk about anxiety, what that is. We talk about depression and disappointment had the difference. Like, you know, disappointment is when something doesn't go where we want, but depression is when it becomes extended for you. And so it's not a particular timeline. Yours might be different from mine and vice versa. But when it gets to where it really becomes a, a negative feature for you, then it can lead you into depression. We talk about suicide. A lot of people are considering death by suicide. And initially, my publisher, the editor, she didn't want it in there because her mom had struggled with, I guess, attempted suicide. And her thinking was, if you write about it, you encourage people to do it, was research shows it's just the opposite. Most people who are thinking about death by suicide really want somebody to talk to them. They really don't want to commit suicide. So we wrote the book with the attitude of, if you're considering death by suicide, before you do that, please think about the people you'll leave behind. And so we we do research on what tends to happen to the parents and just different people. And then also we say, we know you're not really being selfish, but when we hurt our body physically, all our attention goes to that part of the body that's hurt. Not that we want to neglect the other parts, but that's where our focus is. And so I'm just saying that right now, you may not be understanding or focus on other people and they love you more than you realize, even though they may not be able to communicate to you how they love you in a way you want to be loved. And then we also illustrate how important it is to wait, because a lot of times if we wait, our circumstances usually change. And we shared a story of a guy who was in a marriage, and for a long period of time, it was a tough marriage. Eventually, he got out of the marriage, and he said so glad that he didn't you know, take his life because now he can enjoy his adult son who's now married and he's remarried. And so we just encouraged him. So we talked about that. And then in the end, we talk about how to find a good counselor, but then we talk about also how you can make every day your best day. But what we do most of all in the book is we try and write in a very sensitive way to people who may be wounded and not telling them what to do, not preaching at them, 
but say these are some possibilities and try to get them to take baby steps so they can realize they have more choice and impact in their life than they realize, as opposed to just having no, just reacting to life. They, they can actually be proactive, but we don't push that. They're not seven things they need to do to make that happen. And, and even with the questions at the end of the chapter, we say, hey, don't get overwhelmed because there's seven or eight questions. Hey, maybe for you, just take one, you know, and just you know, go at your own pace. So it's, it's that kind of book. So we try and be very sensitive in regards to that. I love that. I mean, I love the fact that uh, people can personalize the book to themselves and their circumstances and whatever they may need at the time. You said two things, too, that I think are pretty profound. You talked about the fact that sometimes when you're in a dark place, I'll put it this way, the ghosts and goblins in the dark are always worse than when you shine a light on the room and then you realize, oh, what is that? That's a little ant in the corner. (laughs) It's not as big as it seemed to be. It's allowing the light of God sometimes to shine in the places that are difficult so that we realize they are more navigable than we thought that they were. You know what I'm saying? And that's a really huge and important concept. And then realizing just because you feel alone doesn't mean you really are alone. Right, right. Yeah. And so people who are stuck emotionally, uh, he says this, we need to line up how we're thinking with the word of God. And then we need to line up our actions with the word of God and our emotions will follow. But if we don't change our actions to guide the actions, or if we don't change our actions at all, then we stay stuck emotionally. Absolutely. The way I often talk about that is what I call the thought, feeling, behavior triangle. Sometimes we can shift our thoughts and it's going to affect our feelings and then affect our actions. Or sometimes we change our behavior and that affects our feelings and our thoughts. The hardest thing to do on the triangle is to start with the feelings for most people. However, you can shift everything by either starting with the thoughts or the behavior and then, you know, get around the whole triangle, if you will. (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. Yes. Yeah, so that sounds like a very similar concept. So what was it like for you to work with a female counselor and how might that have been valuable and particularly for a man? Because a lot of times, you know, men don't like to disclose to anyone and uh, there are different reasons they might not want to disclose to men or women. So tell us about that part, the gender difference. Well, typically, normally, I I think it would have gone to a guy, but she reached out to me first she made me feel relatively safe. And then I think for me, it was actually a benefit because women tend to have better social skills than guys. So she was very uh, intuitive. She was married. So she understood, you know, she's been married more than 20 years. So she understood a black man and her being African-American was huge because she could zero on stuff that I might not initially want to talk about being a black man, trying to be successful. So um, so, so I think initially, you know, I had concerns, but not because she was a female, but just, just, just sharing my emotions with anybody. But then she just like the first couple of things she said, I mean, it's like that went right out of the window. Cause she was so profound. Good. Because, you know, it's funny. I know in the consulting work that I do and most of my clients are actually male clients, but I think it's been beneficial to have the gender mixed because, the men are bringing one thing, I'm bringing something else as a woman. And when you mix it all together, it actually becomes a better right. scenario to look at. Because we're looking at it from different lenses. You're going to see more of the waterfront that way. And I find that 
I think it's easier. It's been in my consulting experience. It's been easier for men to talk about feelings in a way with a woman than with a man. Because with a man, you got all that testosterone and you got, you know, you get the competition and I got to be, you know, the man and strong. (laughs) When you're talking to a woman, you don't have to hold that position as much. Yeah. Well, she created a safe place for me, which was really great. And And I do think being a female, she made it easier to have a safe place. So. That's fantastic. So how can people get the book? How can people find out more about you and get in touch? Well, the book is on Amazon. So if you want to go there and grab it, I would encourage you to do it. If you're struggling with a friend, has friends who's struggling, you might want to buy two copies, one for them, one for you, and just kind of go through it with them at their own pace. And they can find me, just go to my website. It's just Clarence, not Clarence, but it's ClarenceShula.com. And my last name is S-H-U-L-E-R. And so just Clarence Schuler is all one word.com is a great way to go there. And if they go there, there are a lot of free videos they can grab if they want to get those as well about relationships. So that's uh, how to get the book. Right? But my friends have said my mentor, who's 94, Dr. Bill Pinnells, who's written a book called The Coming Race Wars, but still just really sharp. He says uh, you've written some really good books. He said, but this depression book is your best work. They say you just scratched the surface. You got to go deeper. So uh, so that's really been encouraging and challenging. So this book is called Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. And why does your mentor think this one is your best book? Well, he's pretty, he's 94, so he's not really worried about hurting people's feelings. But he said, well, evangelicals really don't care much about race, which I've written a lot about and stuff. He said, but this... He said, you're really going to help a lot of black men. And part of the thing, he says, you know, because some of my experiences that have generated some depression have been cross-cultural settings. But he also said the fact that, and women have said this too, the fact that you have a woman help you, a black woman help you, is going to open doors for men to be more receptive or open to women, even their wives talk to them about their relationship. You've kind of given guys permission to do that. So he's very excited about that. And just the transparency, he says, people need to open up because... We're dying because of stress, because we're not talking. Amen to that. I really think that's huge. The fact that you have gone through this yourself and are willing to share the journey and not just the sanitized version, the Mm -hmm. hard places, the difficult things that you've gone through and had to walk through, it sort of normalizes it for other people to say, you know what? You can be a profound person on this earth and still have a challenge that you're going through. And here's an example of it. And you can get through this mm-hmm. to get through on the other side. I think that's important as well. It's just the knowledge that you can get through it. It doesn't mean I'm going to be, I'm done with depression, but now I can, I think I can manage it more effectively and I can see the triggers and that, and that kind of helps me uh, keep things in check. So that, that, and that gives you hope and so I'm less likely to get as depressed. Well, that's true. And knowing the triggers, you don't have to wait so long before engaging the help, if you will, along the way. Well, thank you, Clarence. I really appreciate you sharing so personally and transparently, even here in this meeting with me today. And I believe that many people are going to be helped. So let me ask this. Before we close, what are your additional words of wisdom for my community of executive business leaders? Well, for your business leaders, I would simply say that focus on self-worth, not self-worship. 
also realize people are watching you, which is, can be a good thing. So you can impact them positively. And I would just say as a person of faith that um, we need to see each other the way God sees us. And because we have his image or made in his image, have his DNA, we have value, purpose, and a destiny. And so how we value people impacts how we see ourselves as well. And too many leaders have a poor self-image and we unintentionally sometimes model that to other people. So those would be some things I would say to leaders, CEOs in that way. So it's maybe a, there's a double-edged sword. You can think not enough of yourself or mm-hmm. you can think too highly of yourself and both <laughs> of them can lead to a train wreck, if you will. So you have to really understand your worth in God and have it wrapped in that for sure. All right. Well, thank you for those words of wisdom. And I'm going to close today's segment with a Bible verse, first of all, Psalm 43 and verse 5. And it says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And in this verse, the psalmist was dealing with some really difficult situations. People were coming after him, and it was a tough time. And he felt cast down because of the circumstances in his life. And he asked himself, why are you disquieted within me? And he remembered how important it is to hope in God and to know that even though at the moment he wasn't feeling like praising, he said, I will yet praise him. And he recognized that God was the one who was the help of his countenance. God was really at the center of it. And I think if we keep that in mind, we can get through anything because it's not our power. It's not our strength. We are really accessing the divine power and strength of God who can do all things because with God, all things are possible and nothing is impossible. So have a blessed day. Walk in victory in God and know that if it looks dark today, the light is coming and is shining in your life. Hi, this is Dr. Karen, and I'm here today with Yos Snoop, who is the CEO and president of the Bible League. And the Bible League is a ministry that provides Bibles and instructional materials in the Word of God, as well as trains teachers in their local language and culture to share the Word of God and to disciple people. So today, Yost, tell us a little bit about the impact of the Bible League. What's going on out there? Last year, I met this uh, lady. Her name was Nimia. Uh, Nimia was born in 49. She became a Christian in 2002. And last year, we were able to invite her in one of our trainings. At the end of that meeting, she stood up and shared her testimony. She said, this is the first time I received a Bible for my own. And I'm equipped to share the word of God with others. I thought by myself at that point, that's why we are a Bible League. That's why God called us to be in ministry, to serve people like that and to equip them with the right materials and with the word of God. Oh, thank you so much, Yos, for sharing that story. And what I want to let everyone know is you can be a part of this movement as well. You can go to BibleLeague.org to find out more 
about the ministry and also to donate to the ministry. There are lots more stories like the one that Yost just shared today about lives that are changed and impacted for God through Jesus Christ. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.